Hello, welcome to Chats with Chelsea. I'm your host, Chelsea Bennett. Today is the finale of season two. And I am so grateful for my friend Elizabeth Keys, who joins us back this week to close out the season. Last week, she shared her journey, um, how she's dealt with grief of losing her brother three years ago to a heroin overdose. Today, she shares with us how she's overcome the stigmas around sharing how she lost her brother and what's next. Let's tune in. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me again today for another episode of Chats with Chelsea. Uh, last week, we had a very real discussion about your journey since your brother passed away from a heroin overdose three years ago. Something that often comes up with an overdose of whatever mm -hmm. it may be, um, but especially with a heroin overdose, it's just a stigma for those mm -hmm. who are left behind. Mm -hmm. How have you dealt with the stigma of his loss? Mm -hmm. It is, um, I do think we as a society are not entirely comfortable with addiction. And you know, in the news you hear opioid overdose, opioid epidemic, and it's easy to think, oh, that's West Virginia and Kentucky and Florida. And, and it is in all of those places. And the, some of those places have been hit especially hard, but it's, you know, and I think my family's evidence of this, that this can affect any family um, and all families. And it doesn't, you know, we were a, nuclear family with a mom and a dad and everybody was raised and went to college and you know sort of that doesn't insulate you um, from this but one of the things um, that's important to me and I'm and I'm not there yet this is um, still a work in progress is is speaking the words you know if you had um, somebody in your family who died um, from cancer or a heart attack you know, no secret to it. You would right. just say the person had um, breast cancer and um, struggled with that for several years and unfortunately lost her battle. Or um, somebody had a heart attack and, um, you know, peacefully passed in his sleep or whatever the case may be. Like, we, we use that vocabulary there um, in a way that we don't with, um, frankly, with probably any sort of mental health or brain-related um, cause of death. But... I am trying to be more deliberate in, in using that word, um, overdose, using heroin, using, because I think the more, um, the more we, we normalize might not be the right word because I hope we get to a point where we don't have to talk about it at all, but the more that we talk about addiction as a, as a cause of death not a lack of willpower as a cause of death, not, um, you know, sloppy behavior or sort of all of these things that are hard for us to separate out from drug use. Um, I just think each individual story, anyone who overdoses, their story is much more nuanced than just drug addict. I appreciate the analogy you use because it does cause me to pause and to think that for someone who's died from something that does not have a, a stigma attached mm -hmm. to it, when someone asks, mm -hmm. you quickly mm -hmm. offer it up. And mm -hmm. so I think that it is, obviously, I, I send my sympathy mm -hmm. and I empathize, yet 
you know, I'll also be curious in a year of how that's even helped you in your grief process by confronting it mm -hmm. and not hiding behind mm -hmm. the stigma. From those you have shared it with, Elizabeth, has anyone said anything crazy so far? No, which makes it even sort of, which really just um, makes it even more powerful that, that a large part of the stigma is on the part of the family of the user. You know, that everyone I've told, and I will admit, it's, it's not been, um, not everyone knows, but then not everyone's asked either. Um, but when the people that I, um, the people that I've told, no one has had anything other than, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. No one has said anything ugly, dismissive. You know, so it really is, again, it's sort of trying to bring this into the light and just make that more, um, make it, make that vocabulary part of our vocabulary around um, illness and death and dying. And I'm sorry that any of it has to be part mm -hmm. of our vocabulary, but, but, that is the reality that we have people who have diseases or who are in accidents or whatever. We do have these words and that the more we can um, make all of those um, sort of a, a sad event and a life worth celebrating and, and take out the asterisk. You know, that it, again, if it's someone who dies of cancer, oh, he or she lived a full life and, mm. you know, all of the... Uh, their work accomplishments and their who uh, you know their family members and sort of all of that and and I feel like um, you know that, that there is some element on um, an overdose of you know asterisk except that it was a death by an overdose not a normal reason and and again I just um, I, I think that and I think that I frankly as um, a white educated professional woman. Um, have a unique um, platform might not be the right word, but to make that seem, I mean, for goodness sakes, I was the president of a, of a junior <laughs> league, you know, that, that um, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone, sort of that, like, I feel like I have a, a, um, a uniquely positioned to be able to, to share that message and to, in using the word help, again, sort of normalize that. And the stigma that you have internally attached to the mm -hmm. overdose and sharing that, um, and sometimes only sharing if asked how, mm -hmm. is that related to your perception of overdose or because there has been some negative feelings mm -hmm. about how your brother died? You know, I think um, it's sort of unwrapping all of these um, cultural norms that have been kind of forced on us that every, not every, but you know, you think about movies, TV shows, like the drug user is, is the loser, is the bad guy in a TV show, is the one who's, you know, robbing the convenience store to get money to further their habit. And, and those things do happen sometimes, right. absolutely. But I just think an individual person's story is always more nuanced than the cultural or the pop cultural take on that. And, you know, so we need not to lose sight of that. 
I also do think even though, like even though I fully believe, and I think science supports this, that addiction is a disease that is essentially a malfunctioning of your brain chemistry, it is really hard for me as somebody who is not addicted to drugs or alcohol really to get a hold of what that means and why the person can't just, like, why did he keep doing it if he knew it was bad for him? You know, even though you, you know, the rational part of your brain knows that there is still the part of you that is um, sort of assigning blame or blaming on willpower or whatever that is. And again, that's sort of undoing all of these, um, you know, movie references and things you learned in, you know, when they did drug, uh, drug education in elementary school and it's sort of undoing some of that. Was that hard for you to undo those perceptions and cultural norms that you believed has been pushed on so many of us in society? I think I'm still a work in progress on that. And again, it's, it's sort of separating this, the rational part of me where, you know, the sort of the book part of my brain that has read fairly extensively on addiction, specifically on opioid, 100% believes, like, the facts show this is a disease. But sort of the, the more emotional part of your brain, it, it's just hard to make those two things reconcile. Mm -hmm. so anyway, so still, still a work in, in progress on, and I guess to some extent it's how you can't ever really understand why. Right, why or what somebody else is going through or experiencing if you haven't gone through or experienced the same thing. And it's and believe me, I'm not going to go try this out so I can see for myself. But it's just sort of hard for me to understand exactly how it works, even though I know sort of scientifically how it works. So. But, but that's, I mean, that's real. Right. To, to be in the grieving process, but to have that, um, that, that revelation, that moment of honesty, that there is a portion is, you know, as you shared on last week's episode about there's always going to be that hole there. Right. It's living with that right. brother size hole. Right. But that's a part of it is right. you're not going to have all right. the answers. I don't even know all the questions to ask, much less all the answers. Yeah. Well, you know, as I shared, I may be a little different. I may have <laughs> all of the questions. Yeah. So yeah. the stigmas, you're gonna be you're gonna be pushing back from from your within your area of mm -hmm. influence and sphere. And I think that, you know, as a former president of a large junior league, mm -hmm. um, you do have that platform, mm -hmm. you do have that sphere of influence to to help um and I would like to use the words to break down the stigma mm -hmm. um, because there are going to be folks who are still going to have many right. questions. Sure. Um, there's going to be some folks who are not going to read as much right. and they're going to lead right. more to their emotional right. side. Absolutely. So it's breaking it down so that if someone asks mm -hmm. how your loved one died, it's, you know, they died three years from a drug overdose, right. from a heroin overdose, right. Right. and they're not being that your stomach, you know, you, you feel your stomach dropping to the bottom because of a concern or fear. You know, one of the things that I heard from you, Elizabeth, that I'm sure is not the case for everyone is that it's, or from what I've heard or in some ways making an assumption that there was not this 
fear that you would be judged based off of his decision? No, I don't think so. But I do think, too, that I have the luxury of um, not living in the same community. You know, I had moved to Washington, D.C. I think my, you know, I think if you were to ask my sister that question, mm. who lives in the same community and they ran in the same circle of friends, I would guess that she might have a little bit of a different answer. And now, speaking of questions, I'll have to go back and ask her that. <laughs> um, but, but I would guess that she probably has more of the sort of the whispered, oh, that's the girl whose brother died of an overdose, is my, it, I, I feel fairly confident in saying that, but I will go back and ask her about that, yeah. And, you know, and I think, and I think our parents, too, and some of this is generational, mm -hmm. and some of it is, I, I don't know, and I do not blame my parents for this, even one tiny bit, but I don't know if you're a parent how you don't blame yourself for it at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that is probably a normal, natural response. I think I don't think they bear any responsibility for his actions that mm -hmm. led to this. Um, but I think they're probably a little bit less comfortable than my sister and I are. You know, it's they're older. You if you feel a little bit of um, shame or responsibility or, you know, that's a, that's a more complicated story also. Um, yeah, so we're just all kind of making our, making our own ways. And I do think, um, and I don't know yet sort of wh what direction this will take, but I, I do, I've got some ideas, and I do think that I am um, called to do something more defined on this and again I don't know exactly yet what it is I've got a couple things that I've sort of been sketching out and mulling over and um, you know but but again trying to use my platform in a, in a way that's positive for me and for other families well in the midst of us talking about such a sensitive and personal yeah. topic um, I do smile because one of the things that I love is seeing women especially yeah. walking in their purpose and their passions yeah. um, and what God has called them to right. do because even out of tra tragedy, right. God has given you a testimony right. to be right. able to help others who may have right. lost someone. And then as we're going to wrap up this conversation, be able to help other yeah. families yeah. who whose loved one is addicted yeah, who's addicted yeah. is still around. And so we will be watching. We'll be because this is overdose is something that to you something you said earlier, Elizabeth. Uh, you know, you all grew up in you grew up in a nuclear family. Right. You right. all went to college. Um, drugs don't have a name. Right. Uh, a neighborhood, a zip code, yeah. Yeah. education status, yeah. it can affect any of us right. at any time and you know, as I share, as I share often when I post about the mother to be celebration, is that life happens. Yeah. You know, because there's stigmas even around expecting moms, sure. single moms, sure. teenage. Sure. Life happens, yeah. Yeah. and I believe that part of what God has called me to do here is one to empower women to live purposeful lives, but in that to reach them where they are. Right. Um, and so I'm. So let let me let me ask the question. What's your advice? To families mm -hmm. who have a loved one who's addicted mm -hmm. to drugs, what's your advice to them of being there in the moment, 
being mm-hmm. there with them in this season? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the question, isn't it? Um, you know, and you read some really heartbreaking stories about, especially moms, because as women, we tend to be the caregivers who stick with a child who, you know, is stealing from them or who, you know, sort of all, all of these things. And I'm incredibly, um, and it sounds crazy to say lucky, but incredibly lucky that we, we didn't have anything like that um, in my experience. And, and I, I genuinely don't know how families do this for five years, 10 years, 12 years. I, I don't, the emotional toll that has to, and the financial toll and mm-hmm. the, all of that um, is incredible. And I, I have only things that I can learn um, from those families. Um, in our particular case, because it really was relatively short-lived, um, you know, and we, we talked about it a little bit last episode, I didn't feel like my role or my purpose was to ask a million questions. I felt like my role was just to say, um, hey, I love you, I'm your big sister, I don't remember life without you, you're important to me. And I did, and this is probably where um, the practice that I had mentioned last week of writing texts to my brother, that it's sort of like my version of journaling. Um, after um, he had gone into rehab, I definitely started texting him more in real life. And so I think that's part of why the, um, the text notebook, the things that I would have sent him, really helped me, that I just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, that at least probably every day or every other day, he got something from me. It, sometimes it was totally stupid or a bad <laughs> joke, or a, but just something that he knew that he was on my heart and that I loved him. Um, and, and I don't know that I have any advice other than it is, it is not, addiction is not the fault of anyone in the family. It is not the fault of the addict. Um, it is a fault of brain chemistry and addictive chemicals and sort of all of those other things that are wrapped up. And so to the extent you can avoid either taking on blame or assigning blame and just focus on the love, that's my advice. Well, thank you for joining us here on Chats with Chelsea. For those who are interested in following you and waiting for your big reveal of how <laughs> you're going to use your brother's yep. tragedy as a testimony to empower, educate, mm-hmm. and affect other lives, how can they follow you on social media? So my Instagram and Twitter are at underscore Elizabeth, with a Z, um, K-E-Y-S, just like keys to unlock the door. <laughs> well, I hope that they will, for those I hope that everyone will go follow you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yet that there will be folks who will be truly blessed by your openness and the journey that well, you're going to share. So. Thank you for being on Chats with Chelsea. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to do it. To Elizabeth and anyone else out there who has lost a loved one to an overdose, you are in my prayers. You're in my prayers this holiday season as... You are reminded of your loved one who will not be there at the table or around the Christmas tree. I am praying that the love of God, the peace of God would overwhelm you and your families. And that while there may be a brother, son, dad, uncle, sister, size hole in your heart, that God would meet you right where you are. And you would experience just that supernatural peace. 
To those of you who have been along this journey with me for the past two seasons, thank you. Today we close out season two and I am so grateful for you all being a part of the Chats with Chelsea community. I hope that the content this year um, was helpful for you. And I ask for your feedback and your suggestions as we prepare for season three. There's already some amazing things that will be taking place as we come back January of 2020, because at the end of the day, my goal is to empower you to live a purposeful life. And so we'll have some great ideas in store. And I'm excited to just be on this journey with you because it's truly a community. It is truly us living out God's purpose for our lives. Um, and as we close out the year, remember you can continue to donate to our foundation, the LWC Foundation. We help moms throughout the year, so you can head over to lifewithchelsea.com um, and make a donation. As well as another way you can donate is to shop our boutique. We will be launching a new boutique in the next coming week, but the shirt I have on is still there and available. So be sure you go grab a shirt before the new ones drop. I love you all. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in your lives in 2020. Have a great rest of the year.